Welcome to Downtime Podcast. This is the 40th episode, and this is a special episode. I currently don't have Jer- Jeremy with me again. Um, he's on vacation. Um, he's doing a lot of traveling for the first few months of 2018, but I have a special guest with me, a senior gameplay programmer for Double Fine Productions here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and she's worked on Psychonauts. Brutal Legend, Costume Quest, Broken Age. Am I, I'm probably missing a lot. But. There's a few in there in between. <laughs> <laughs> but here we have Anna Kipnis on the podcast. Hi, guys. Let's start off with telling um, our listeners about your background and just as much as you want to talk about. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so my background, so I started working in games um, in November of 2002 um, and Double Fine has actually been the only like full time in game <laughs> game industry job I had. Although Double yeah. Fine is awesome in that they let you collaborate with indies and like you know if you want to do your side project. Yeah. So I actually have worked with some other you know some other developers on games. So my background I have a computer science degree and I studied at Rutgers College in New Brunswick. And let's see, I'm, I had a bunch of minors. Um, my favorite one was cognitive science um, and philosophy. I really like to, and also psychology, but I realized that all the coolest classes uh, from psychology were in the cognitive science kind of department. <laughs> uh, although so, uh, psychology did have a really awesome AI class and like some perception stuff. All of this is to say like they, it really, really helped me out um, for my job because uh, as a gameplay programmer, especially at Double Fine where we had a lot of creative input, in games, um, and I did a lot of AI work, it was just, like, it introduced me to the field. Time, like, people, you know, this is how far AI has come, like, at the time, they were like, we will never figure out how to do handwriting, or, like, how to read handwriting. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's still, like, you know, those CAPTCHA robots, like, I think it's still hard for them to really do it, but, um, yeah, it's really, really come a long way, so it was really awesome, and they had a seminar class where all the best like AI researchers would come in and give us talks. And oh, that's stuff. really cool. Yeah, it was really, it was exciting. It was really interesting to just like, and they were so excited about their research material too. And so I was like, yeah, it was, it was very cool. I also ended up taking a bunch of film classes and that helped out as well because um, on Psychonauts, it was actually gameplay programmers who got to do at least the initial pass on all of the in-game cutscenes. So those are all the ones that are not pre-rendered. Okay. And unfortunately, like you can kind of tell which ones they are yeah. because the pre-renders have not aged well. Like they were, you know, rendered in Maya at the time, and like it's just um, those are the ones that don't look amazing in HD. Yeah, but so so but what happened is we would do a first pass on all those cutscenes, and then an animator would go make sure that we didn't screw it up too much. Uh, but it was so cool because some of them like did no problems, and like they shipped exactly how I had set up all the shots and stuff. And that was yeah, that's really cool. That's one of the things about games is there's just so much work that you end up doing stuff that will just ship. I was about to say you end up ended up becoming a bit of a jack of all trades, even like even though you're a developer and you're working on a lot of aspects of the production yeah i mean that's that's the thing about smaller companies is you get to do that actually like i encourage mm-hmm. um anybody who's interested in doing um, game development that you know smaller studios you will get to you it's a lot of hard work and you will have to learn a lot of skill sets besides the one you might have like you know really specialized in yeah but the upside is that you get to learn so much about 
how a game is put together. And so I actually, one of the first things I worked on Double Fine was um, dialogue for characters. Um, and that became kind of like my specialization at Double Fine for some things, like definitely AI and characters and, and dialogue and all the systems that you, you want to do there. But um, we would also have an internal game jam where every once in a while, for two weeks, we would like uh, work on just whatever like idea that was pitched. And we would divide up the company, and so like we would have teams that are really small, and we didn't always have an audio person. And so for one of these game gems, I actually did all the audio for the game. So like you get to do these things that you just don't normally get to, you know, that that's not part of your day job. Um, and as a result, what ends up happening is like you much, you have a lot more empathy for the people who do that kind of work, and it just like gives you something else. Like you feel so much more creatively fulfilled. I feel like. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reflects your experiences in college because since you minored in a lot of things mm. too, mm-hmm. it's just it was never just about computer science. It was about right. a lot of things. So since you focus a lot on dialogue, I, I also think that's interesting. Um, does anything with your minors so in cognitive science and psychology help out when you're working on a game? Definitely. So, okay, so the other thing, I took a bunch of languages in college. So I'm, I'm a native Russian speaker, actually. So, like, I came to the United States when, when I was 10 or so. Um, and so I actually took Russian in college, but the teacher caught okay. on. There were, like, half of the class was all these Russian kids who, like, had never officially studied it, but and half of them were Americans who were struggling with the language. Did Was there, <laughs> wait, oh, I get it. It affected the curve, didn't it? Yes, yeah, so oh. she, she gave us more homework. <laughs> she, she gave us away. She gave us the homework that she was supposed to give, like the whole class. Plus, yeah. she gave us extra because she knew we were cheating. And so, um, so I took Russian. I also took Japanese, um, oh, which really is cool. a so it's like you know I was I was kind of trying to um, take languages that were and also English for me was um, you know I had only really spoken English by then. I was seventeen, so seven years. Mm-hmm. So English was still a challenge for me. So it was like you know I was trying to study these three languages that were quite different from one another. And um, that plus uh, cognitive science um, has linguistics is considered part of that. And so we did have linguists come and talk to us about some of the challenges with language and how do you study it, how do you parse it and things like that. So uh, so I knew, for instance, that it wasn't it was not going to be trivial to take, you know, uh, to construct sentences on the fly. Like, yeah. th- th- that would not translate well between all the languages. So, like, there's a couple of things that, you know, with Boyd, we knew that Psychonauts was going to be translated into what we call e-figs. So it's, like, these four other languages, French, okay, um, Italian, German, and Spanish. Like, e is the, is the English e-figs, okay. you know. Okay, okay so, so we had to translate it. We knew we were going to have to translate it to all the languages. Well, Boyd was a character in Psychonauts who had... Um, Tim, the way Tim wrote him is he was going to be... He was a conspiracy theorist, and so he was going to be, like, you know, kind of conjuring these theories up uh, procedurally. So we knew that the, it was going to have to be translated, and so we had to approach it from a certain light um, so that, like, you know, when things got put together, it still worked. It made sense. It, yeah, in all these different languages. And, of course, we gave the localizers, the people who translated it, a lot of latitude to say, like, okay, we know some of these are not going to work. Just make it work however you... So just so it's, it doesn't sound awkward in the language. That's a... I just realized that's a really lengthy task to because yeah. you're when you're creating a game to not you're also thinking of when 
people from other countries play. Exactly. And so the grammatical structures of Russian versus Japanese versus English, I mean, they're very different languages. And so just knowing, um, being aware of like how different the language structure can be in all of these tongues, um, that can that can really help you out if you're doing dialogue for characters and you know that your game is going to get translated. This kept coming up in, in Costume Quest. Um, you could choose to play Ren, who's the girl, okay. or her brother. In fact, you know what's funny is like people think, like, oh, it's so nice of them to, to uh, have a, a girl character as well. Like when they originally, we actually only wanted Ren. <laughs> we added the boy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you could pick... Um, the, you could pick to play as either the brother or the, or the sister, and then the other gets kidnapped, right? Yes. Well, so, like, all of those cutscenes had to be adjusted so that, like, you know, if you chose to play as the boy versus as the oh, girl. And, you know, languages like Italian and Spanish and French, they, they have uh, masculine and feminine. Exactly, yes. So, you like, you had to watch out for that. And so we actually ended up writing two versions. We tried to avoid using pronouns or anything like that like when speaking about them or should I just try to avoid speaking about them as much as possible in the dialogue and then for places where we absolutely Got needed it. it we had a duplicate line where you like the translators mm-hmm. would know that okay this was for the boy version this is for the girl version um what else like you know and w- whenever yeah whenever you have any kind of procedural dialogue this comes up a lot um did, yeah. di- did working on dialogue just kind of fall into your lap or when you were dividing tasks for the first time, you wanted to work on that? I want, I mean, that was, that kind of like, so the, the Boyd dialogue thing just kind of fell into my lap because I was assigned to work on Boyd and there was nothing, you know, in my background that would have like flagged me. I was like, oh yeah, she's totally the dialogue person. <laughs> but like, I mean, I think that I really loved that experience. Um, and then um, Eric Walpa, who was who uh, was another writer actually on Psychonauts, as well as a programmer. <laughs> he had a lot of work. Um, but he and I, we kind of wrote uh, some of the like the dialogue systems involved with with all of the characters in the game. And then after Eric left, I was kind of the steward of that system because I knew okay. how to work the best. When we worked on Brutal Legend, uh, which ended up, so we wrote that engine from scratch and that ended up being the engine that we used for all of our games that shipped after that, all of our 3D games. So the system that I wrote for Brutal Legend is the one that all it's of these everywhere. other games have. Yeah, so... Uh, so that was just like, okay, Anna knows about, like, we don't have very much time. We are so like, you know, we have to ship this like yesterday. So like, let's just have the, her work on it because it'd just be the fastest, most efficient way. I think that's really cool creating some sort of, um, architecture that ends up being used like for almost all the games. Yeah, it's cool. It's yeah. really cool. Like you feel like even, even if you're not working on something, you're still contributing a little bit. Yeah. How big is Double Fine? That's an interesting question. So, okay, so when I started, I think it was about 25 people on Psychonauts. I think it grew to something like 42, like 42. I'm giving exact numbers, but they are really approximate. (laughs) I think the biggest we ever were were during Brutal Legend, which was like something like 70. Okay. And we've always had like, you know, contractors. Sometimes we we would outsource things like to companies we really trusted. Um, But um, right now, I think we're at... 50-something, like mid to low 50s. Working on the next Psychonauts. Next Psychonauts uh, some, and some other things that we haven't announced, like smaller things. Got it. Speaking of the uh, the second Psychonauts that's coming out 
So the first Psychonauts, I believe, came out in 2005. And mm-hmm. the next one is probably going to come out in 2019, I, be- I believe. But mm-hmm. um, or what made you all decide, yeah, we're just going to bring this back and create a new storyline? Yeah, so, I mean, the, okay, so throw your mind back to 2005. <laughs> <laughs> there is no digital distribution platform. Steam had not yet come out. Yes. This is one of these things where we, I mean, we worked so, so, so hard on Psychonauts. And then for whatever reason, it wasn't available in all the stores we were hoping it would be available. And then the thing about games is they're like milk. They're on the shelf for like two weeks and And then then they're gone. Yeah. And that's it. You only ever see them in used bins. And this is like in 2005, this was the state of affairs. It meant that games would just like, eh, two weeks, like I'm over it. Like next game. You know what I mean? Like it was just such, it was such a difficult market. I think, Especially if you were an indie developer and you oh, went yes. AAA. Yeah, that's the thing I feel like maybe um, is not as well remembered now because, you know, Double Fine is like kind of a mid-sized company, especially with these tiny indie developers that are around now. But back then, we were like the indie. <laughs> like, that's, we, that's true. It's crazy. Like we were, uh, you know, quote unquote, competing against teams with like hundreds of people. Yeah. If not thousands. And we were we were like 42 or, you know, up to like less, fewer than 50 people, right? Sometimes so, there's some indie developers now. It's just like a one man team. I know. I know. Yeah. And it's just like. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, things have changed, technology has changed, and also with the uh, PC distribution platform, that gave the oper- that gave those indies an opportunity to actually, you know, earn something, because previously you had to have a publisher to be on. In fact, you know what's funny mm. is that some of our own games were taken off, um, I'm not going to mention the console's name, but we were <laughs> taken off the console because we weren't the publisher and so our games weren't allowed to be there and so when the rights reverted to us they had to take the game off because they had very strict rules about wow yeah it's it's just it's kind of crazy i mean this is something that um maybe the wider audience is not aware of but like it can be really tough to be an independent developer and it was tough back then so our game came out and two weeks later it was like gone like but there were like these you know there were some fans of the game so it just kind of spread through word of mouth and eventually like it just never completely died in popularity um and so eventually a lot of people consider it a cult classic yeah, but we didn't know it was going to be that. Like, we, had the, we were like, we worked our asses off, and then it was like, okay, yeah, it's out, it's out, I could go to the store. You know, I remember I was such a dork. I went to the store, and like, so it's like, oh, do you, do you have uh, psychonauts? Oh. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, uh, and the guy just, you know, whoever it was, uh, what, I remember, psycho mouse? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's psycho. Anyway, like, if people, you know, if people didn't really care that much, but. It was, like, so special to actually hold it in your hand. It's like, oh, my God, this is the thing that we were making for the last, like, two and a half. I mean, I worked on Psychonauts for about two and a half years. Somehow, by some miracle, thanks to Steam, thanks to, like, digital distribution and PC gaming becoming, like, uh, supportive of indies, it's hard for me to talk about the fandom of this game. I, like, appreciate it so much, but I don't really know how it happened. It was, like, it kind of blindsided me one of these days. I was just like, oh, my God, Psychonauts is still selling? It's still popular? <laughs> um, it was It was featured on the front page, too, this past weekend, I think. Yeah, that's It's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane. But anyway, so what had happened was, like, you know, it built up, and I think around uh, when we launched the Kickstarter... 
the, in 2012. Okay, so here's the thing about the Kickstarters. We were approached by Two Player Productions, which was a documentary company. And they were like, hey, we would love to do a story about making games with you. Um, and we were like, oh, yeah, we would love that. We'd love, like, you know, opening things up for, for the public to witness, like, what development is actually like without, you know, making it this PR stunt and, like, you guys are perfect because you're a third party and all this stuff. But we're like, but we don't have any games that you could film. Um, that's why we put up the Kickstarters because we, you know, the model then was just publishers. Like you had to get a publisher. I mean, it still is like that to some degree. That, but there are other options now. In any case, like that—that that is what happened. And I think there was some confusion where people thought that we were actually kickstarting Psychonauts. Oh, like I, I kind of wonder, like how much it was—it was this weird thing, like oh man, all this time I we love Psychonauts so much, and we had no way of directly giving you money, so here is <laughs> like it was oh. kind of. So we were like, huh, you guys want Psychonauts? Interestingly, and so we were like, hey, like I guess there's people really want a sequel to this game, yeah. And there is, you know, Tim had many ideas for it that just got shelved for one, for one reason or another, and then. It just kept being on our radar since then. And so we were like, okay, why don't we just do it? Like, it's it would be fun to work on it again. That's really cool. Um, so to go off of the digital distribution and Steam especially, there's a lot of game. Because um, so growing up, I only had a PlayStation. Mm. And it was during the times where your parents, they were only going to buy you one thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so... I was only a PlayStation person, uh-huh, okay. but, I, but I did play Psychonauts, though. Oh, you did? Okay. I played Psychonauts on PlayStation, and then, but there's certain things, like, for example, that came out on Microsoft, Xbox, or Nintendo, or that I could never play. Exactly, yeah. And so it makes sense that, especially with this, that now the game's accessible to everyone. Exactly. And not to mention, affordable, too. Yeah, exactly. It's like was well, sometimes it costs like a dollar or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's it. and the other thing is it was updated like you know the it actually holds up pretty well for a game made that long ago with the you know some of the textures were up-res and things like that. I'm I'm really excited for Psychonauts too. Oh, cool! I hope it doesn't disappoint. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a well, I've been a huge fan of Double Fine for like. A, a long time so I have like played pretty much almost everything that, oh, yeah and actually Jeremy too who's not oh. on this podcast hi Jeremy yes by the way he has a few questions for you okay one of them is if are there any plans for a costume quest 3 in the future I and have... why is the answer yes <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard uh, of any such plans, but it, I could be just out of touch with, you know, yeah. the things that are actually happening. But no, I mean, I, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, yes, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't quite know. I don't know what's going on. Right now, I think we're pretty, um, we're pretty busy on, yeah. on the things that are going on, yeah. We have some really cool stuff that we haven't announced. Awesome. Now. Is there anything you can tell us about Psychonauts too? They have a, well. Okay, so, so here's here's a couple of things. So yeah. there has actually been a sequel to Psychonauts already. In it's VR. the VR one. Yes, yes, I know that. And that takes place immediately after the events of the first game, right? And then the sequel takes uh, place immediately after the VR experience. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually a sequel. Like, there's already a prequel to the game. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Yeah, so so basically, it's only been a few days 
since really it's only been a few days after yes so 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 raz is only about four days older than last you saw him okay yeah wow yeah so a lot has happened but in four uh, days yes um and i don't know how much i want to spoil for you but essentially you know there is you know, Raz moves, there's upward mobility for Raz in the Psychonauts world. Got it. However, um, there are challenges as well. <laughs> there's something like, you know, a TV episode <laughs> preview. Like a trailer. Like summary. <laughs> yeah, summary. Uh, I, I really don't want to spoil it. It's super, it's super interesting. There's a lot, you learn a lot more um, about the history of Psychonauts. And, okay. Um, and some characters you might know already awesome well. yeah there's some uh, romantic entanglements revealed all right yeah and this is you know what's funny is like it's there is so much there was so such a long wait uh from the last game it's like and, what 2018 13 years yeah, yeah yeah i mean that is a long time and like you know there's just it's hard to um not fail all of our fans. I mean, I hope, no. we, I hope we don't, but there's, you know, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think the game is looking pretty awesome, but um, I'll let everyone judge. Yeah. Uh, so he really likes Funhouse, and mm. um, he really likes James Willem mm-hmm. as a voice actor, mm-hmm. and when he found out that James Willem was going to be unnamed character on Psychonauts <laughs> 2, he got really excited. And... Um, did you work with him directly? I did not. No, oh, okay. no. I mean, we, you know, there was like, it's one of these things where I knew of all the antics and it was like, we, I think we had him on, on a call once with like kind of the whole company. So we okay. said something. Yeah. Um, there's <laughs> definitely communication there, but it was, yeah, I have not worked with him directly. Okay. So far. Got it. Yeah. So the way just, just to apprise you kind of of how the, the dialogue recording stuff. So there's, Tim who writes, or t- whoever is, yes. th- maybe there's another writer, but right now, Tim Tim who writes all the dialogue, then the team kind of makes sure that, you know, it all kind of fits with what we've been developing so far, and then it's, it gets scratch recorded, because we want to have it in the game as soon as possible, and scratch recording means just, like, people on the team pick a, pick, pick a character they want to act <laughs> as, and then our sound and department just records, it. yeah, and we just, you know, and using our systems, we get it into the game. And then we make sure that it works, right? So you don't want to like, the, you know, talented actors are expensive. Talented is like, it's expensive to, to actually like record somebody and, um, you know, that you have to be, you have to book a studio. You have to make sure that the actor is properly compensated mm-hmm. and like, you know, you don't want to waste anyone's time. So we only want to record with final professional actors. Yeah. Um, like Mr. Willem, uh, once we know for sure that all the lines are exactly how we want them. So initially, we actually get things into the game um, and iterate on them. Sometimes we, we have to cut things down. Sometimes we have to add things. Sometimes we have to change yeah. the story. Sometimes like a puzzle just doesn't work and you have to put uh, hints in there or like whatever it is. A uh, localization producer who kind of like handles all this, she, she prints out all the scripts um, and then, so that's Melina Annabelle who does all this stuff. And then we have Chris okay. Brown, who Tim has been working with for a very long time. Um, she does the recording, and, she, and she, usually Tim is there. And if maybe there's another right, like if Eric were to, um, Eric would probably be there if he also wrote to direct and to answer any questions the actress might have. And then the dialogue comes back, our audio department edits all of it, um, and 
it gets replaced, like the scratch dialogue is replaced. In the game. Yeah, directly in the game. And uh, one interesting thing is um, we don't, so let's say there's a cutscene you have to animate. Yeah. Our animators don't um, finish animating. Like we have a layout stage where like, you know, characters will like move kind of like this. <laughs> like they just yeah. slide on the ground. Um, and yeah, I just did a sliding on the table motion with yeah. my fingers for those who can't see. Um, and, uh, you know, like they just, there's no, um, it's very, very rough. It just has the correct cuts and like, you know, positioning of the characters. It's just staging. It's no. just staging, exactly. Um, because you cannot, like, it's, we're one of those studios that are uh, kind of like, you know, with Disney Animation and Pixar, you animate to the to the performance. Yeah, to the, to the yeah. actual voice. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, an actor can often bring a lot to the performance and things mm-hmm. like that. So uh, for any gameplay stuff, sometimes the timing might have to change or something like that. Sometimes, you know, what often happens is that you're in, this, in the recording studio and the actor does, like, a really cool take. And you're like, oh, man, they said that they improvised on this and this is not the line that's in there, but we're going to add it. We really love it. Oh, okay. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And then you have to actually implement that in the game. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting process. It's really cool, though, because, like, it's it feels like um, someone makes a little contribution to that world every step of the way. I mean, yeah. this is how I feel playing the original Psychonauts. It's like I can actually feel, like, the people I worked with, like, come into the room and just sit next to me for a little bit and it's like okay well I'll see you and then like the next person comes in you know, especially Black Velvetopia is is a, is a game is a level like that yeah because the whole the whole team worked on that one yeah there's like a little piece of every uh, yes there's a little heart of all of yeah. your uh, team oh yeah. yeah 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 for sure like it's and I I was we were very I don't know what the word is like so warmed by or like touched by the fact that it wasn't like that other people responded to those things because we worked on that game for so long and so hard that we didn't really know whether anyone was even going to get those jokes yeah (laughs) Um, yeah it was yeah we were just trying to like a lot of the time working on psychonauts we're just trying to make ourselves laugh so on um things that you've said previously you've talked about how double fine is a really diverse Mm. Uh, company mm. and how often like with in such a positive work environment how does that affect the overall production of the game okay so a couple of I guess a couple of comments so yeah when I started um, there were a bunch of women who worked there so I never questioned that there were gonna you know that women are welcome in game development I only the only time I ever thought that something was amiss was through my interactions outside of com- of the company mm-hmm. um, people often assumed that I was working in PR or something like that I which see. was a little strange you know like it was yeah. um, that was definitely yeah I mean that wasn't Cool. But like, it was it was something you know, and I would get strange reactions like, "Oh, you're a programmer for video games? Like, wow, woman!" Like, and I would get a lot of that because yeah. I the thing is about me is that I, I probably don't look like a programmer, like or you know, like a, like a fan of games a lot of the time. So yeah. I think it throws people off. But I actually believe that it's good to have people who look like me in the games industry because like not all gamers look the same um agreed and um so there's that so then this, the other thing uh, about diversity so there were there it's not just about having a diverse team it's also having a team that listens to everyone on the team yeah and um i remember when we were working on brutal legend it's about heavy metal fantasy which notoriously women are like not really like yeah. you know, part of the team there <laughs> 
But um, a lot of us were like, well, look, there's all that there are going to be all these hot ladies in the game. Can we have hot men? <laughs> and Tim and Scott were like, you know, Scott Campbell, the, the lead artist, was like, um, they were both, they both listened to us. And so they would actually, Scott would send us drawings of like, is this guy hot enough? Like, it, what do you think of this one? <laughs> because I had, we were like, mm, like, you know, why his shoulders? Like, it's like more, like whatever. And it's, it was, it was cool that he, like, you know, we gave him some reference materials to like work from and things like that. Plus, yeah. um, we, it was really important that some, there were like cool women, like, or cool female monsters in the game too, which hadn't really been done. Like, giving a lot more character like even even if the physique was very feminine looking there was something else going on like it's just i was a big fan of that i think on the game and we all you know a lot of a lot of the the women we kind of like hey what if what if this character did this other thing so it was um it's hard for me like i only like okay so there's a character called a bladehead i forget i forget what what the official term for it was on the in the shipping game but it was on the um the demonic group. Okay. And uh, I I like the design so much of the, it's like basically these these uh, characters who have like blades for heads and it's a feminine form and they're like you know a little S and M so their hands are like they're yeah. wearing full full latex they have no faces nothing they're completely covered in latex as as the as were all the other ones really all the other characters on that team but I like the anime I love the way that they moved so much and the way that it, they attack that I actually wouldn't attack them oh. <laughs> in the game like and I like there were these things like that there were like there were just these small touches where I was just like wow I've never seen that before in a game they just the way it was not it was kind of an awkward movement a little bit and they were mm. slightly bow-legged and there was like there was just something that was not um how the female form was usually portrayed yeah yeah so there was I think because there there were so many so many of us and like um some yeah so many women contributing to the, the character design the the animations, you know, whatever it was, I think. And, and Tim really, like, listened to us. I guess, like, one thing growing up is, you know, oftentimes you kind of heard the horror stories, not just actually about video games, but just women and tech mm. and women and entertainment in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I read about, uh, I read a lot of positive things about Double Fine. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really cool. And I think it also shows in the final product when, mm. you, like, you can tell that a lot of, a lot of thoughts and opinions were put into it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we also had a bunch of, um, you know, people who were eccentric who actually draw references from outside of games in particular, because that's the other thing that tends to happen in games, especially if you don't have a diverse team, is that you're drinking from the same well. Mm-hmm. And that does not bring any new ideas to the table. So, like yeah. we, we, you know, a lot of us tried to bring influences from literally like everything we loved um, yeah. outside. You know, whether it was games, whether it was film, whatever it was. Like, um, I learned a lot. Like, I, I because programmers weren't segregated from the artists. I learned so much and like was introduced to so many interesting things. Like throughout the, um, yeah, throughout just like my development tenure at Double Fine. I mean, Lee Petty, um, I worked, so one of my last games that I worked on was Headlander, and the last game that I shipped. Yeah. And he would sit us down and watch, like, 60s and 70s sci-fi films with us to, like, get us into the mood of, like, you know, that world. Yeah. And it was just, I, some of these films, I just, I never would have known about them, and they did, like, and it just, it really does inspire you. And, like, I was doing some UI for the game, and I would, like, 
you know, look at videos of old computers and how the uh, how they looked and how they rotated. And I tried to bring some of that into, like, some of that animation into the UI I was doing, for instance. Yeah. So, anyway, it really, like... Um, it really helps to draw from as many influences as possible and having as many diverse perspectives on things as possible. Well, you were talking a lot about uh, gender gender neutral dialogue earlier, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and especially kind of in this generation right now, a lot of people's ident when people want to identify themselves, it's no longer kind of like cut and dry anymore. Sure, sure. So I I wonder if in video gaming in general we're going to see that change of just like different identity like identity can mean a lot of things right yeah so i you know like me personally i can only really like uh you know they tell writers write what you know like i can only like the the best thing that i can contribute is my own experience of life so i i'm not the best person to comment on that particular thing Mm -hmm. i mean i definitely um can try to relate you know if someone if someone tells me of their experience i can try to relate and i can try like if something really uh, if I really feel like I understand something, I can try to bring it in to yeah. work for sure. Uh, but, you know, if you are somebody who doesn't feel represented in games, the easiest solution is for you to go and make a game, find a team to work on to make a game, like, because that's that's the best, that's the shortest uh, path to, to making that better. And that, that's right. like, yeah, I mean, you can't just be this, um, you know, and the, the other thing I guess what I want to say is, yeah, you might be the first person making games that are about that, or maybe like you know one of the pioneers. But people will see your work, and there will be others. They, 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 you will indirectly be creating games for yes. yourself to play in the future. So yes, yeah. and I think that's really awesome. Things like Steam and all of these different pla- and even mobile gaming. Yeah. There's just more areas where you can enter. Yeah, I mean it's like you know it's not all paradise, and it's not all. It's not going to be easy because there's you know there's there are quite a few games out there the market is really you know getting quite crowded but yeah you should still do it (laughs) like especially if you have if you if you have a really interesting vision if you have um the if you do it if you execute well on it like it will get out there it will like and especially if you try to i mean there's also like social media and things like that it becomes easier to to get your game out there people will notice it you know there are definitely avenues so definitely what is your ideal gaming experience? Like, what are some mechanics that you feel really help the player, like, that you like to implement because they help the player out, like, like that type of thing? So my, so ideal game, so my, my, uh, my most favorite game to play is games where there is, uh, like, a con- it's, it's a game where the, the playtime is short, but you get to... Uh, it's basically kind of a, a roguelike, but a narrative roguelike. Okay. Where you play it through, and then um, you have a certain kind of experience, and then you play it again, and you have a completely different experience. Oh, there okay. are very few games like that, but there yeah. are some, right? Um, and It's like kind of like a different perspective in each playthrough. Yes, exactly. And then there's a lot of, perhaps, randomness, perhaps, like, just circumstantial, like, it so happens that uh, this permutation of choices has led you to this very unique outcome type of thing like i really that's my favorite type of thing i really really love that yeah um and so i wish it was like you know the best the best way to do these kinds of games games is through text 
and that's mm-hmm. great and all, but like I wish that there was more going on. Like I wish it was, you know, for instance, eighty days is a really good example of this kind of game. It's not, yeah. uh, it's you know, it's not a super short kind of experience. It's like a few hours long, but um, they did this thing where they you actually have a simulation and management aspect to to the game as well, mm-hmm. and it feels like you know it's not just a story that's being told um, through like a. a you know, a change in um, your path or something like that. Yeah. It, it is actually feels a, a lot of these elements kind of work together. Like it's very symbiotic, right? Jeez, uh, I like strategic challenges rather than um, Twitch challenges. Like I play, I play a lot yeah. of board games and things like that. And mm-hmm. so, like I love the the long strategies. I I play like you know a lot of these. Um, like Civ style games, yeah, okay, and things like that. Like I, yeah, I really love that. I love like for King of Dragon Pass and um, uh, what is it called, uh, Crusader Kings Two, yeah, <laughs> and things that just involve a lot of complex systems that kind of come together sometimes and other times do not. But like I really, I do like that stuff. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite sim game actually? My favorite sim game. Um, well, so. I really love Cart Life and I really love Papers, Please. Um, and Papers, Please in particular was uh, something very personal to me because, like, I actually i am a refugee from Eastern Europe, or from USSR specifically. I grew yeah. up in Ukraine. And, you know, it was, it really was kind of harrowing. <laughs> like, being from that, you know, I yeah. was on the other side of that. We had to wait for a very long time for permission. My mom wasn't let out of the country and, like, all mm-hmm. these kind of crazy things. And it was really weird and creepy a little bit and awesome to play a game from the perspective of the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and to kind of understand the power dynamic a little bit better. Uh, what you were talking about earlier, that reminds me of uh, Nier Automata, because mm. since I just finished that, except mm-hmm. it's like 60 hours and it's okay. not 30 hours. <laughs> but um, so the way that game works is there's five different endings that you get, mm-hmm. but in each playthrough, which is about like six to eight hours Mm -hmm. you're playing with a different perspective and you're playing with a different character each Mm -hmm. time and then Mm -hmm. on top of that there's optional side quests that um there's optional side quests that can help with the narrative and help Mm -hmm. explain more things but they're all you don't have to play them if you Mm -hmm. don't want to so Mm -hmm. every player's experience would be a very different yeah i actually really love the idea that every player's like literally every player's experience would be really different and it's not just because they've chosen one path or another but there's a roll of the die in the game where like this one thing is going to be just that way for your specific playthrough i put that stuff into broken age where um every time you play there's a different solution to like one of the like the wiring puzzle for instance yeah. and that is just yours it is in your save game like that's as soon really as cool. you encounter that because there's something kind of magical about that like yeah i, think that I agree one, yeah one thing that attracted me and you i know you do your background is also in computer science so like you um one thing i uh really love about programming specifically is it feels like we're like the magicians <laughs> yeah but each code everyone's code is different like everyone has a different way from yeah. getting from point a to point right B. sure yeah 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 um and but it's just it feels like you can really truly summon like you know the, the idea that there is something very unique to this play this specific player's game yes there's something really magical about it it's like there's it, yeah, it re- there really is. It's this one special, the way we've arranged the bits, like this yeah. one, like combination of things is special just for your game. Yeah. I think it's, it's really cool. 
Like everything is like a, spe- is a snowflake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Uh, you, so, you, so you've had a lot of talks about uh, dialogue. And mm-hmm. my question is, are there other topics that you that you are interested in kind of addressing in the future about? Definitely. I mean, I've, I've given a few talks about um, simulation games and expressive simulation in mm-hmm. particular. And like, just as a quick summary, um, what I mean by simulation games is games that, you know, uh, things like Everything from SimCity to like, you know, oh, yeah. you know even just The Sims, like um, things like Cart Life and Papers, Please and yeah. like, those those games, they um, all kind of like pick something in the world that they want to model, you know, like um, maybe an economy, like so something like that, where it's an exploration of this particular system, right? And, um, and what those games end up doing is expressing something using that now the reason the reason is um when you're whenever whenever you're choosing what to model in the game you're making an authorial decision there like i'm gonna like i think this is important to model but not this yeah it's sort of like drawing a map you're not gonna draw every single like uh you know blade of grass or something like that you're gonna draw like where the streets are like you're gonna well depending maybe if you're doing a a grass map, you know, maybe you would, but you choose like what you think is important to present on the map, right? Yes. And it's a very similar thing with with games as well. Like what you choose to represent in a game yes. is important. And a lot of people, I think, maybe, or rather, um, you should not forget that as a developer that you are making that choice every time you put something in your game, like how the degree to which you stylize it and things like that. I, I have given a talk about this kind of thing, but it's. It's really, it's like a weird, it's like a topic that is not going to make sense in summary. So um, there is, there is online, there is a talk. To end this podcast, uh, what are you playing right now? You kind of, you kind of talk Shadow about of the Colossus. Shad- yes. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I was actually um, on a Twitch stream the other day for the slow jam. Uh, where we played, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's the opposite of speedrun. We really take our time and enjoy the game and do weird, you know, little things in it, like jump on a on the hawk and just see how far we can actually oh, that's get awesome. onto it. Yeah. Um, I haven't but, gone that far in the game yet. Yeah, there's like these little secrets throughout. If you like, there's no, there's not a lot of reason to explore the environment because you are just trying to find the next colossus. But yeah, um, if you take the time, there is actually like these weird little secret spots with you know special stuff like that and this is all from the original game too yes okay yeah yeah um so so yeah shout out the classes nice the the remaster yeah i'm also playing that too yeah um are you doing the photo mode uh we did that a few times i mean it's i like is it necessary i actually turned it off i don't (laughs) i don't even have the photo mode on at all I, I don't know. I mean, I think the original game also kind of had these funny things like there's a mirror mode, like you, play, oh. you can play the whole game. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, it's silliness. But I mean, I, I don't know. I really, I really love that game. And so I'd probably uh, play the mirror mode. There's also like the secret garden you can climb to. There's a secret play. garden? Yeah. Is it on a Colossus? No, it is on the temple that you're in. Like, there's really? A side, yeah. I th- I oh think, my gosh. I think okay. <laughs> These are but so- you. But here's the thing: you have to beat the game like twice before oh, you. Oh, I see. Yeah, before your meter is charged enough so that you can survive, I like did, hanging onto it. I didn't even realize there were all of these things. It's yeah. I, to be honest, I hadn't either. Like, I I only found out about it after I like did some research on the internet back in the day. And like, oh yeah. But now, I mean, I'm not even sure the secret garden thing was in the original game. But we definitely saw the wall and tried to climb it. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. So, really random, but 
when I defeated the first boss. Mm-hmm. So that was when you're trying that for people who haven't played it. That's basically your tutorial on mm-hmm. how. And yesterday I played it for the first time, and. I defeated the first boss. It was really difficult getting the climbing and、it、controls、was. at first. To be honest with you, the first the first、uh, Colossus is the hardest. Okay. I I think it got it gets way easier later. I mean,、okay. like basically, once you get a grasp on the controls, the controls were a little bit tricky to、um, to get used to initially. But then I would say you're not going to have as much trouble. Again, yeah. <laughs> There's one other boss that is a bit of a pain in the ass, but at least looks incredible. So yeah, like,、uh, yeah. It's I think yeah. I remember when I started, I was like, oh my god, this is way harder than I remember this being. And <laughs> There's this glowing red on the fir- on the bo- on his bottom leg,、mm. and I thought I was supposed to attack that at、mm. first, but then I realized you attack that to knock him down first. Yes, and then I started climbing it and. Kind of the back is a little is a little furry, so I just kind of started attacking it. But I was like, "Am I doing this right? Like, I don't, like, I don't know what's going on." And then,、uh, and then I fell, and then got stomped on, and then at my、um, second playthrough, I climbed a little bit farther, and I realized, "Oh, the guy's target is on its head." Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> equip the sword, anyone who is anyone, little tip. Pro tip: Equip the sword when you get on the monster because then automatically the points will or the the points of hurt will glow. Oh, like okay. Points. Yeah, actually, you know what's what's weird for me is like I had a really hard time killing those things because like it just felt wrong to do it or something. <laughs> favorite hangout spot and also favorite restaurant. <laughs> okay, I have okay. I there is a B Star which is located on Clement between Second and Third Avenue. They have this thing called Tuna Don, and it, I'm like, like addicted to it. It is just like, I don't know. It's a weird concoction of like there's yeah it's tuna it's raw tuna and then, then Don Donberry right. Well, sort of, but they do it in this interesting way. It's just it's the most amazing thing. I don't know. I mean, I gotta probably, find it. <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> way overselling it, but I don't know. There's something about it that is just like. That is, yeah, I love that stuff. I also love sushi a lot, so I go to like some sushi place around town. Nice. Have you been to the conveyor belt one yet? I forgot what it's called. Oh, the sushi boat place. Or wait, is there a specific one you mean? So there's like a, I forgot the name, but there's a conveyor belt sushi place, and it's kind of like a game with the party that you come with. Really? So it's like, say you came with a party of three. So it's like sort of you're all competing each other. Who can eat the most plates? Really, and whoever gets the most plates, you actually get a small stuffed animal. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot、wow. the name though. Oh, well, I'm gonna have to look that up. That sounds really fun. Yeah,、um, I get like there's one.、Uh, so I used to live in that neighborhood that I just named on Clement Street. So、yeah. I there's another one that has a karaoke room that is free if you spend、What? a certain amount of money. Yes, yeah, their their control their control like. Their yeah, the control scheme for choosing songs is not the best, but it's free. So, <laughs> for sure. Final question.、Uh, just what's a quote you live by? I don't know. I'm just gonna throw out "Live and Let Live" because like we are living in a very stressful time, and like let's just not judge each other too much、um, because we're not the enemy. <laughs> Got it. I don't know. I I say that as someone who understands just how serious the situation is. So there you have it, folks. Yeah.、Uh, yeah. Thank you, Anna, for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Lise.、Uh, this has been the fortieth episode of Downtime Podcast.、Uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.